Welcome to a very special episode of Be The Girl podcast in partnership with Hey Poppy for the Hey Poppy Virtual Expo. I'm your host Haley, and in this three-part series, I'm chatting to three amazing women who are highly regarded in their fields and have a wealth of knowledge and experience. The best part is you have a front row seat to hear all about their personal and professional journeys, lessons learned, advice, and practical tools you can take and implement right now into your daily routine. Whether you are needing some inspiration or motivation, are wondering, how did she actually do that? or after some tips and tricks to help you on your journey, no matter what you are manifesting and cultivating. So what are you waiting for? Get ready to be inspired and be the girl who decided to go for it. After finishing high school in 2016, Isabel Marshall and Eloise Hall founded the Adelaide-based social enterprise Taboo. Taboo exists to sell 100% organic cotton pads and tampons to customers in Australia with all net profits donated to fight period poverty. Eloise is currently in her third year studying business and international relations at Flinders University and is using the skills she is learning in her role as managing director of Taboo. Isabel is in her third year of medicine at Adelaide University and working as the director of health and education. I was delighted to chat to Isabel all about Taboo's mission and how Isabel and Eloise were inspired to create their social enterprise. We discuss the reality of the facts behind menstrual stigma hygiene challenges and period poverty around the world, and how Taboo is working with charity partner OneGirl to bridge the supply gap for those who need period essentials the most. We also chat about what it's like starting a social enterprise and overcoming challenges along the way. Big congratulations to Isabel, who was recently announced as Young South Australian of the Year 2021. A truly educational and inspirational episode that we all need to hear. Let's get into the conversation. Hi, Isabel. How are you today? Hi, I'm so good. Thanks. How are you going, Hayley? I'm doing really well. Thanks for coming on the show to chat with me all about your not-for-profit social enterprise called Taboo Sanitary Products. I'm very excited to dive into this social enterprise space. You've got a very interesting story and very excited to partner with Hey Poppy for this episode for their virtual expo. Let's dive straight into it. I'll put you straight in the hot seat. You tell me a bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Isabel Marshall. I am 22 years old. Yeah, 22 years old. I am the co-founder of a business called Taboo. I founded it with my best friend from school, Eloise Hall. She's um, very sad she can't be here, by the way, guys. But yeah, I am also a third-year medical student at the Uni of Adelaide. That's about me. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit more about Taboo and what it's all about? So Eloise and I started Taboo um, at the end of 2016, start of 2017, and it's all about addressing period poverty. So our business Taboo sells our own brand of organic cotton pads and tampons to Australian customers, and then our profits are used to fight period poverty through our our charity partnership with um, an amazing charity called One Girl who works in Sierra Leone and Uganda to to support women there and to pretty much get them back into school. Um, And one reason a lot of girls don't go to school is because of their periods. So that's our area of interest. But yeah, that's taboo. 
such a special mission behind your business and your brand. Do you study full-time as well? You were saying you're a third-year medical student? Yeah, yeah. So I started in 2018 and yeah, I'm just about finished my preclinical year. So next year I'll be in the hospitals, which is really exciting. I'm I'm keen to to stop just studying the books and actually start meeting some people. Mm, definitely getting into the more practical side of, of what you're learning. Yeah, yeah. And Eloise is also a full-time uni student as well. She's doing um, business and international studies at a uni called Flinders. How do you manage your full-time uni and then managing your business as well? How does that, how's that all going for you? How's it working at the moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's difficult. It's a time pressure, certainly. Um, <laughs> And also an emotional pressure, I guess, when, you, when you're so invested in, um, in a mission and a business that's so close to your heart, obviously, um, even just the emotional side um, is a commitment in itself. So we've definitely found that. And, um, but I, I just feel so lucky that, um, that we've got such an amazing team and that um, Eloise is um, so, so understanding of my um, timetable and I am of hers as well. And we, we really do try to share the load um, and communicate with each other when we need um, help so that kind of relationship we have and um, similar relationship we have with obviously all our team members as well is so important for um, for Taboo. Really interested to learn more about how a non-profit or social enterprise works so we do hear a lot about them but I think a lot of us don't actually understand the concept behind it and and how it all actually works so it would be really great and beneficial for our listeners if you could talk us through maybe even from starting a nonprofit and then down to like the day-to-day and how it works and then how you are able to then partner with your, your charity partner and then ultimately give back to keep driving forward your, your business purpose and your mission. Yeah, it's such a good question because social enterprises um, are a pretty new concept and they are hard to um, to fully understand easily because they come in so many different forms and shapes um, and they certainly lie between that grey area of a business and a charity. So it is really difficult to nut it down. Pretty much a, a social enterprise in essence is a business that has business, undergoes business activities, but instead of the profits or I guess the services benefiting the shareholders. It so for us um, instead of the profits going into say my or Eloise's pockets, it goes into um, our elected social cause, which is directly to our charity partner One Girl. Does that make sense? That absolutely makes sense. Essentially, yourself and Eloise aren't taking any sort of salary, and then you your team on a volunteer basis would that be a fair clear yeah. way to put it as well yeah at the moment yeah we're all volunteers just because we're, we're still we're about three years old um, so we're still in the um the growing phases but um, social enterprises can have paying work uh, paid workers um, it's in a sense it's kind of like a charity like charities do have team members that are paid have paid roles and that's to keep the business going um, it's more so the profits so um, mm-hmm. at the end of every 
financial year instead of like the dividends going to the shareholders they just go to the elected cause so i guess another really important aspect of a social enterprise is that every decision that's made keeps in mind the mission so for for us our mission is to ensure that women around the world have access to good sanitary products and the right education to do with their period so for us every decision we make we look back to that and make our decision based off of that mission so that's really important just because it keeps the business very mission orientated, orientated, oriented. <laughs> that's a very important driving factor through everything that you do to make sure that you keep that focus, that end goal. Yeah, absolutely. And I know personally, when I was preparing for our chat today, and once I started reading about it, then I really sort of started to get more and more into it. And that's why when I was getting ready to chat to you today, I was really, it was hard to explain how I actually felt when I started reading the facts and the actual reality of period poverty. It's quite confronting for some people, I would I would say, if they're not really too familiar, if they haven't really educated themselves about it. So I would love to know from your perspective, because Isabel, you've taken this amazing step towards helping these women all around the world against period poverty. First of all, let's talk about some of those facts for some of our listeners who may not be fully across why period poverty exists and what's it all about. And then we can sort of talk a bit more about challenges with with your nonprofit and then we can talk more about the impact. I think it's really important to let people know and help get your message out there about the facts of behind why you started in the first place. Eloise and I were introduced to this concept of the social enterprise in year 12. Um, and we loved the idea and we were 17 years old. So it, it seemed like a really cool idea. It seemed like the future of business. And we started brainstorming what, what areas um, need support and funding and help. Um, and also what products are in high demand in the Australian market. And obviously like social social enterprises follow that kind of model and they think um, what what service or product can I offer and then what can I fund how can I funnel those profits or services into into a related cause so we started um brainstorming some ideas and when we came to as in tampons being a product that a lot of Australian people require every month we then started looking into the flip side of that social enterprise idea so what need is there out there around menstrual health care and menstruation in general And that's when we came across a lot of these facts. And that's when it really went from this nice idea that two 17-year-olds had to start a business together into a very much um, a a very passionate um, idea that we couldn't ignore because we were so blown away by these facts. So what we first discovered was that about 30% of girls in developing countries drop out of school as soon as they get their period. And obviously we were wondering, like, why? why? Why is that? continue to do some further research and we realized that there's a lot of factors at play and I guess the the underpinning factor that um, is consistent um, between all countries all cultures is the shame and embarrassment that is um, attached to periods and the the cultural issues that um, that come from that shame or at that the culture that is also um, it's the shame as well it's a yeah I guess a, a really really complex issue 
Because of that, that shame, obviously, cultural stigma attached to periods, a lot of girls um, don't have a good understanding of what periods are. A lot of girls and boys and men and women all don't have a good understanding of what periods actually are, how they should be, how women and girls should look after themselves on periods. And a lot of girls don't even know to expect a period before it comes. So as soon as they start bleeding, they, they're taken by surprise. They think they're dying because they're suddenly consistently mm. bleeding. Mm. Um, and they've never heard about this because no one wants to talk about it because it's such an embarrassing topic and then they don't have access to the right products to deal with it because they're in poverty in poverty um, or if they're if they are too scared to ask anyone for products and so a lot of girls end up using um, really really um, unhygienic alternatives such as um, the kitchen rags from home mattress rippings there's been reports of girls using things like tree bark um, and cow dung and really anything that they can get their hands on to soak up the blood. Mm. Yeah, so of course that's going to introduce so many um, reproductive health issues as well in terms of infection. And so all of those issues and factors combined really contribute to that 30% of girls dropping out of school as soon as they get their period. As you mentioned, it's a very complex topic indeed, and there's so many different factors just in culturally, education, so many things. What were some of the challenges that you experienced along the way? We discovered all this at the beginning of year 12, and we kind of had, we obviously had this idea of um, what would then become taboo, um, but we kept it in our back pocket because we had some exams to do and had to finish off our schooling and stuff. So um, we held on to that until pretty much the day after we finished exams. And then we thought, right, let, let's see what people think of this idea. Mm-hmm. And so we lo- entered a local um, competition we pitched this business idea um, and we didn't know what to expect, um, but we really just wanted to judge whether it would be received well and whether it's something that we should pursue further. But we were pretty overwhelmed to win the um, local competition, get some uh, seed funding and then um, have access to some amazing um, mentorship opportunities and really just a foot in this entrepreneurial door, which is like a community that is so supportive and a community that really um, wants to help young people with business ideas thrive. So we had access to all of that, which was amazing. So that's when we decided to take a gap year in 2017 to push the idea as far as we possibly could and see where we got with it. So that year, a lot of that year was spent meeting up with a lot of uh, professionals in different areas, legal guys, um, accountants, uh, people who'd started their own businesses, people who'd started charities. And you're right, one of those big questions was how do we like even find a legal structure that's going to um, support our idea well? Because we're not really a charity like we're, we want to sell our own products we don't want to sell our own pads and tampons just like any other pad and tampon company but we obviously want to be supported because the, the mission is is so much bigger than our just our brand so there was yeah a lot of coffees were had a lot of um, mm-hmm. meeting with people who gave us a lot of amazing advice a lot of different advice which is also so hard because you need to distill the advice that you think um, will will fit your issues the best so yeah we had a lot of coffees we um, got a bit of a team together um, and our main kind of our main focus of that year was also getting the funding for our first batch of taboo branded pads and tampons and of course the manufacturer for those pads and tampons 
Okay, so taking the business idea through to then getting that seed funding and then having access to those those resources and that community that was really fundamental to to kicking things off, which is it's so great that you were able to have access to that and think that a business idea so incredible as this was recognized and one that that's really amazing to hear so once you got through that stage so talk me through the coffees and you went through all of this the sort of next stage then once you got to actually things were in place and it was like okay it's launch day where we're going to kick this off how did that go like what was that like for you yeah, it's interesting because we um we had a long period of time, so a good two years, where we didn't actually have a product to launch. It was all more focused on the movement of Taboo, so that's getting the awareness of period poverty, educating people, and, yeah, I guess bringing that issue into light. So we had a lot of... We had a lot of stuff to do before the product came about, and that looked a lot like going to school going to schools, um, talking to school groups, community groups, um, presenting to them. And so there was uh, like social media, things like that, blog posts, all of this more like movement and community-driven activity. And then so in a sense we kind of launched at the get-go our mm-hmm. concept, our, our passion, I guess. And I guess bringing that community together was so integral because we needed to bring that community together before we could a fund raise the funds for the batch of tampons from our manufacturer but also to to have a solid group of people who were then going to be our customers. So we didn't really launch our actual product until August last year. Um so that was a good 2 years into all of that other really foundational activity. And when you were going through getting the movement going or, or communicating that out and, and getting on people on board, were you travelling overseas? Did you start in Australia? Like how did you set out on that journey? We certainly started with like uh, Adelaide um, schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a, a massive part of our community to begin with. And then that was alongside our social media, which then filtered out to um, other parts of Australia. And now we have an amazing community of a taboo, uh, a taboo club in Canberra at ANU, which is really exciting. And a potential one standing up in Wollongong, which is really cool, in Adelaide too. Entering those uni groups as well was a really important step. And that all happened before our product was actually launched as well. And then we did go to Kenya and India in 2018. And that was, Eloise and I um, went with Eloise's boyfriend as well. And the purpose of that trip was really to experience period poverty for ourselves and and see the need with our own eyes, which was helpful in that it, it, it showed us what, what sort of programs are needed and which maybe organisations would be best for us to partner with because this was just before we had confirmed who we were going to partner with as our charity partner. And it was also really just a super energising trip in that it it reiterated to us that this is an issue that needs to be addressed. And, and so it filled us with a lot of passion in that respect. I can imagine actually seeing it seeing it with your own eyes and experience it and all of the emotions that would have went along with that as well would have been pretty intense, I would imagine. 
Yeah, it, it, it was. There were some moments in um, particular. There's obviously period poverty does look quite different in different countries. And mm. we found in Kenya, a lot of the issues were around the girls. We went to a lot of um, schools in um, rural Kenya and the girls were, were there, there just wasn't anywhere to get pads anywhere close mm. by completely inaccessible and if they were accessible these families were so poor they would not have prioritized pads and so that was the issue there the inaccessibility and unaffordability I guess and then in India it was a lot more the the issues were surrounding the cultural stigma around periods a lot of the women didn't even want to talk to us about them which is a massive it's really it makes it really difficult to address the issue when no one wants to talk about it so yeah, it was super eye-opening. I think that's a good segue now more into taboo and impact. So when I was reading about about your business and what you do, and I think I went back and, and read through your mission, purpose and vision about three or four times because I, would, I started with that and then I would go and I was educating myself more on the statistics and period poverty and all of that side of it. But then I, I found I just kept coming back and back to those three things to really try and really deeply understand what taboo is all about. Can you give our listeners in your own words the mission, purpose and vision? The overarching mission is to ensure that people all around the world have access to the right products and education to do with their period. There's kind of three ways we try to to reach that mission or to see that mission realised. The first is obviously committing our profits to the work of one girl. The other is create, we've created some programs to address local period poverty. And so that we've given our customers online the option to subscribe on behalf of a woman um, requiring crisis care in SA or um, a woman in a rural, an Indigenous woman in rural Australia. So there are two, I guess, community groups that we identified as at risk for period poverty. And that's based on obviously research and a lot of people who have been in this area before us. That means that our customers have the opportunity to, to, uh, to subscribe to our product on behalf of those women as well. So that's the kind of local period poverty being addressed. And then in a more kind of general sense, obviously um, our customers as well, us are a big priority of ours and we want to be able to um, offer them a really top quality product so top quality pad, top quality tampon that's made from um, organic cotton that's ethically sourced and is really healthy and is convenient for them. So yeah, there are there are kind of three ways of, of reaching that overarching mission. I could imagine there'd be different the complexities of different cultural issues and but then also the communication barriers, having to alter the way you communicate and how you get messages through with different cultures and societies. Like how challenging has that been between Australia to overseas and the like? How have you gotten through those challenges with communication and the education process? Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess um, when we started Taboo, we were we had a lot of ideas, lots of big ideas, and one of them was to have our own outreach program that Taboo would be funding. Obviously, we started thinking about that really realist, realistically, and we were eighteen year olds, and we were thinking <laughs> okay, we actually probably don't have the most 
we don't have the most experience in this area. Like we, we would have no idea where to start and we're, we're willing to acknowledge that this issue is so complicated. We need years of experience and research and we would, we would need time in these communities creating connections and building trust and things like that that we just didn't have at that time, obviously. Uh, that's when we decided that we would be funding an already existing organization that has done the groundwork, that's made the connections and has built trust with those communities. They can fulfill those needs way better than we ever could. Does that make sense? Mm, it does. It does. Yeah. Because I was just thinking, wow, that's such like how, <laughs> how, yeah. you know, how do you actually go about doing that, starting it and then, yeah, um, progressing it. We even, we had a, a definitely a taste of that complicated communication when we were in Kenya. We were following this organization, this amazing organization that works in rural um, Kenyan schools, delivering pads to the girls there. And on the first day that, sorry, the day before we went to the first school we were going to visit, we were told that we were actually the ones that would be presenting to the girls. We kind of were under the impression that we would be shadowing this organization and obviously seeing how they, obviously, as you're saying, like the, the way they communicated these issues but then we were pretty shocked to learn the night before that we would be um, teaching these girls about periods, why they exist, I guess the menstrual cycle in a very brief biological sense, but also how, how they can look after themselves on their period and what they, what they should, the, the fact that they shouldn't be um, ashamed of the periods. Uh, when we, I guess when we were thrown into that position, we, it forced us to consider how complicated it would be. Like there, we couldn't just, we couldn't just say, oh, if you if you get a stomach cramp, just pop some Panadols, you'll be right. Like mm. there's no access to Panadol. There's no heat bags. Like these girls have to walk three hours to and from school. Complex, yeah, issues that us as Australian girls growing up in extremely privileged communities and school communities, we, we've never experienced these things. So we just had, in, in a sense, we felt no right to be talking with such authority on these these issues we worked through it and we communicated the organization we were with and we had this amazing opportunity to teach these girls in um, rural Kenya but yes it had to be done very sensitively definitely and I think as two young women yourself that would have been such an incredible experience to go through I think you mentioned that you felt very passionate and it was very energizing so it would be experiences like that that would stick with you forever that would sort of be life-changing I guess in in some respect to keep passionately moving forward and driving forward yeah, and I guess that's the that's the power of social enterprises. There's there's a purpose behind it that is so much bigger than just the people in the offices behind the brand make trying to make the money. Or um, yeah, heart involved, and it does keep keep you energized. I, obviously, during the trip, we were actually quite exhausted the whole time, but long term, it was very energizing. It would have been a very emotionally intensive, but then also traveling to different countries and finding yourself in those different situations that you probably weren't prepared for most of the time. <laughs> been interesting. With all of the experiences you've had so far, what advice would you have for anyone who's listening and who is genuinely considering starting a social enterprise? What would you say to them? I guess as we were talking about before, there's there's no perfect template for a social enterprise. Um, they take so many different forms. And so it's really difficult to, to decide what structure you're going to stick with. But I think just giving yourself time 
to talk with people who have social enterprises, learn from their mistakes and also their their successes, but take time to, to decide what structure will support your mission the best, but will also be the most realistic. As I was saying, we we donate 100% of our net profits, but some um, organize, uh, some social enterprises will donate 50% or some will donate a cup of coffee for a cup of co- coffee that's sold. So there's lots of different Yeah, there's no one size fits all with social enterprises. So take time in deciding which one is going to best accommodate your mission. But also, I guess in order to do that, you have to have a very clear idea of what your mission is and a very good idea of what impact you want your business to make. And then as as you kind of find that mission and that impact, using that as a framework for all of your decisions that are made as you grow the business. And I really like how you said before, every decision you make must circle back to your mission and your purpose. So keeping that front of mind as well. Mm. Yeah. And I guess well, from from my experience with Taboo, um, having a, a bit like a co-founder. So Eloise has just been the most supportive friend and business partner and everything in between. And it certainly can, it can test a friendship. It can test any mm. sort of relationship. But the support that comes from it, like I, we just could not have done it on our own at Mm. all. And and the fact that our team has come on board and we have the most amazing group of girls who are all volunteers, all so skilled, so passionate, um, and we rely on them so much. They do such amazing work. And that team culture is so important as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think feeling like it's like anything that you do in life, but feeling like you're all on the same page and you're all genuinely care about the cause and invested in in what you're doing. That's yeah. so important. Even more so, I think, with the social enterprise for sure. Yeah. Yes. What would you say, uh, Isabel, has been one of the most rewarding part of your journey so far with Taboo? Certainly, um, certainly that trip, going to Kenya and India, coming back from that trip. I I was just so, I guess, changed in a way. All those issues were out there. But, yeah, as I said, seeing them just gave it such a different perspective. But also on in a more like close-to-home sort of sense. And I love doing the school presentations. We've done quite a few over the last few years uh, to different year levels, but the most of our presentations centre around a few themes. And um, one is like the biological process of menstruation. Another is building a social enterprise. And another is, of course, like the period poverty around the world and what that looks like and what the reality is. Um, And sometimes we can combine all of those themes into one big presentation. But I always, I always love the feeling of finishing a school presentation and hearing the feedback from the girls and a lot of the time the feedback centers around the fact that they just love how open that conversation was and how they could ask any question they wanted and without fear of being judged or feeling embarrassed. And the fact that we were standing up there so confident to talk about periods and um, such a natural bodily process that we should be celebrating instead of feeling ashamed about. So that for me is super rewarding. Yeah, mm. I love the education inside behind taboo I feel like too for a lot of those girls that would be the first time they would have experienced that kind of approach and situation to periods so that would have been just knowing that that's the sort of impact that you're having on their lives that's pretty incredible 
Yeah, we went to, um, to a school a couple of weeks ago and it was for year eights and nines. And then the teacher emailed a couple of weeks before and said, do you mind if a bunch of the year sixes come? They've just got their period and they're terrified about it. And I was just like, absolutely bring them in. That's the best. We'd love yeah. to talk to them about that. Like mm. girls shouldn't feel scared to do that, to, to get their first period or alone or any of the above. They should be celebrating the fact that their, their bodies are healthy enough to have a period and we should be celebrating the amazing beauty behind it. Like yeah. it's an incredible process. It should be like I'm in awe of it. So, yeah, I love, I like sharing that passion. <laughs> Mm, absolutely and it's really great to hear now that schools are so much more engaged in this education process and they're including that in for young girls at school it's it's amazing to hear this is one question that I like to ask all of my guests that come on the show and I feel like there's so many things that could answer for this one but what's what are you uh, focusing on right now whether it's in your personal life or it could be with Taboo or university that lives the values of being the girl who decided to go for it. You're probably thinking, oh, well, there's, um, look, I'm focusing on this, but then I've got that and I've got this. <laughs> I mean, I can, like, I can definitely think things that apply to every aspect of life being obviously like personal life, but obviously also uni and Taboo. I think being... I'm actually personally working on being less apologetic. I think I have a tendency, and Eloise is great for this because she always calls me out on it and she goes, don't say sorry or blah, 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 because I do have a tendency to, to think, uh, to assume something will be my fault or that, um, that, I, that I made something difficult or, you know, I responded unreasonably or something like that. And I think... And that can be that can be in in a uni sense. It could be with taboo talking to suppliers, talking to any of the people involved. But also in like in friendships and um, relationships and family. Obviously, if if you're like responding to something that triggers an emotional response, um, knowing that that might be unreasonable, but it might as well be like very reasonable. And so, giving yourself time to sift through those emotions and then empowering yourself to say, actually, no, I did deserve to feel those feelings and I will act accordingly. <laughs> Is that a bit of a long-winded answer? <laughs> no, it's it's so true. And you know what? It's something that I think I've personally experienced that as well. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening do because sometimes that's just can be our immediate reaction. And But then that can kind of trigger a whole bunch of other emotional responses or even influence the situation in a way mm. that probably didn't need to. So oh, I think that's great. I love that answer. And I think it's something that we should all definitely keep front of mind that we don't have to always be apologising for sure. Mm. Where can we find you and where can we get involved if people are really super interested in learning more about Taboo's mission and how they can get involved and how they can help with, with your mission and Taboo as a social enterprise? Our, our products are at the forefront of what we do. So that's our organic cotton pads and tampons. So if you'd like to try them out, you can find them on our website, so taboo.au.co. And obviously all those, the, the money we make from that um, is going to go towards our mission, which is super exciting. But on top of that, there, there's so much in the way of uh, being involved in our community and the social aspect of Taboo. Our social media is quite very active. It's probably our most updated platform. 
So we have Instagram and that's um, our handle is at Taboo Sanitary Products. And we're also on Facebook as well. Um, yeah, but our website has a lot of information on it as well. A lot of blog posts. We have an amazing team member called Ali who puts all those blog posts together and they'll range from inspiring women from history to what is polycystic ovary syndrome. So there's a whole range of things that relate to um, all the topics that we're really interested in. So yeah, our website, our socials, our email is home at tabooau.co. Um, so we'll, we'll be at the behind all of those emails and we'd love to get in contact with anyone who is interested in volunteering or promoting our cause. Um, we have an amazing team member, Carrie, who looks up after all of our um, volunteers um, and we call them our ambassadors as well. So people um, championing our cause. Yeah, so there's lots of ways to get involved. It's a very, very social community. <laughs> I highly recommend to anyone listening to jump on and check it out. And I learned so much personally and I really was so glad that I was introduced to Taboo and I was so grateful that we'd been introduced and that I found you guys. Yeah, it was just such an educational process. And then it really wanted me through what we do to try and to spread the the message of empowering women of how we can work together and and also contribute and help. Thank you so much, um, Isabel, for coming on and chatting with me today. It's been Thank you yeah, so very, probably one of my favourite chats to date, I think, because there's such, really a, yeah. <laughs> such a special message behind it. And yeah, as I mentioned, our platform is all about empowering women and educating them. I can't thank you enough for, for joining me on the podcast. No, I, I'm so grateful as well for you. This is, this is a topic that I'm... Um, that loves to be shared. So I'm so grateful that you're um, sharing on your platform. So thank you so much, Hayley. You're so welcome. We'll have an amazing evening and I look forward to continuing to connect through our various platforms and hopefully, yeah, continue working together. Definitely. Thank you, Hayley. Thanks, Isabel.